0: Welcome to Faith and Freedom Fighters. I'm Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center, and I'm joined by my fellow freedom fighter, co-founder and senior counsel, David Urshami. You know, We've been discussing these tyrannical restrictions on liberty during the current COVID-19 pandemic and how the left uses or abuses science to do so. Today, we, and mostly David, will be discussing the vaccine, quite likely that uh, this discussion will be banned from Twitter, but we don't care. We dump them. They're useful idiots for government tyrants. David, welcome back. We missed you last week. Uh, Please uh, tell us your thoughts about the COVID-19 vaccine or vaccines, as it were.
1: Well, thank you, Robbie. I, I had a scheduling conflict last week, so you carried on solo. That was our third podcast. And our listeners should understand that we're not professional broadcasters or podcasters. We're professional trial lawyers, so we ought to be able to speak well, but we're still working out some of the logistics, and one of mine last week was just simply scheduling conflicts. I always want to return to a theme because it's important, and it's going to be addressed in the context of the COVID-19 vaccination issue uh, that we'll discuss today, and that is individuals' can look at the same facts, and even after agreeing on what the facts are, can reasonably disagree about how to respond to those facts. Now, what does that mean in context? Well, a week ago, we spoke about, not a week ago, I'm sorry, a week ago, you spoke about the various litigation matters that we were involved in relating to COVID-19 protocols and the absurdities that were being uh, engaged in by state officials and even to some level, the courts. But two weeks ago, we spoke about the COVID-19 protocols vis-a-vis the science, right? Because one of the things that we hear over and over again is you must follow the science. The anti-Trumpian said Trump was not science-based. Well, they said the same thing about George Bush too, about Ronald Reagan. Uh, Conservatives supposedly, or Republicans if they're not conservatives, are supposed to be a-scientific or anti-scientific. And Democrats, i.e. progressives are to be incredibly scientific. Now, um, kind of jokingly, you made a comment in I think our first podcast which is telling because we were talking about this idea of science then and i think even maybe the second podcast you mentioned it and the importance of understanding what science is and for those who didn't hear podcast number two we went into detail about what science can actually tell us and what it can't science simply measures things at base that's all it does it measures physical things. If it ain't physical, it can't be measured. And it can be electrical or sound, but these things are all manifest in some physical way to be measured. What science cannot tell us beyond the measurement is what do you do about that measurement? Science, for example, can tell us how many people die every year. They have a definition of death, either no brainwave activity or no heartbeat activity for some period of time, and that constitutes death. But they can't tell us scientists whether death is good or bad. We know death is part of nature And we can say that death by certain types of causes is a bad thing. So for example, murder. But scientists can't tell us that murder is bad. Scientists qua scientists, they can tell us as humans that according to their belief system, their faith, murder is bad. But science qua science cannot tell us anything about the goodness or badness or the morality of anything. In addition, what science cannot do, and we covered this in podcast number two, is tell us what to do about the infection rate of a disease like COVID-19 or the mortality rate or the morbidity rate. They can't tell us to close down economies. They can't tell us to close down schools or to stand six feet apart. All they can do is measure what they think will happen as a matter of probabilities if a certain number of people are less than six feet apart. And I would venture to say the science on that is rather poor as we pointed out. And all you have to do is go back and listen to Dr. Fauci and it's a famous 60 minute interview. It's all over the internet when face masks were not readily available for the general public. And as a result, he was representing the science of face mask at the time which was, it's not really going to help prevent disease from being spread by the wearer. And it's not going to really prevent the wearer from getting a disease. It's meant specifically for hospital situations. In other words, he was telling us the science of the time didn't establish that face masks were effective. And in fact, the science at the time was rather ambiguous and relatively poorly done. But there had been a fair amount of science studies about the effectiveness of face masks. It's not the, this is not the first disease and it's certainly not the first time we considered face masks. And nations and peoples have worn face masks when they have been around infectious diseases for decades. So it had been subject to study, but the studies did not establish a real effectiveness But what what Fauci was actually doing was not talking about the science of face masks. He was engaging in public policy. He had decided, the CDC and others of his ilk, had decided that there weren't enough face masks to give around to everybody. We need to save the first responders who were dealing with sick people in the emergency rooms and the rest of you You're just going to have to fend for yourselves. But he couched it. He disguised it as science from Dr. Fauci, the leading expert in the United States on infectious diseases. He wasn't honest. So later, when face masks become readily available, the science is still no good. The CDC decides to do a 180 and say, everybody should wear face masks. The science still was not definitive. We have studies that show it's a, they are effective as against the spread of diseases from the person wearing the mask, um, possibly effective for the person wearing the mask from getting the disease. But we have studies that show no effectiveness. It just isn't clear, and the reason why is because the protocols across the board, the studies that look at the meta-analyses, meaning they look, the studies that look at various studies, find that the sampling, um, the, the different kinds of mask, the different protocols for what they're measuring and how they're measuring are so varied among studies that to really say definitively scientifically that there is a X percentage likelihood of the effectiveness of face mask is just impossible. So but- uh, can,
0: let me add, I want to add one thing to, to this uh, you know, this point. One of the studies that we had mentioned when we talked about the face mask. So there was a recent and comprehensive one that was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine conducted at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark. And, and there it found, and they had a, a relatively significant sample size. And the number of people, some wore masks, some didn't wear masks. And the infection rate between the two was statistically insignificant. And the, the head of the lead author of the, the published study said publicly, quote, our study gives an indication of how much you gain from wearing a mask. Not a lot, end quote. But, you know, th- there's a couple of points there because- you know, what constitutes, a what qualifies as a, as a legal mask, as it were, under these mask mandates, it's, it's, there's so many different types. And you can just look around, and you see people wearing these craziest looking things that that qualifies a mask. And so how do you measure that? But there's one other component of the political, the, uh, of how this has been politicized, not only amongst the politicians, but if you're a researcher, and you come out and you say something or a study that is against what they consider to be the norm, which is typically the left wing position on these things, these people get lambasted and they're constantly having to backtrack and, and qualify what they said. So science has been politicized, not only by the politicians, but by scientists themselves and by these universities and these other, because a lot of them rely on research dollars. A lot of these universities are are run by, you know, left, left wing progressives who have a certain view of worldview, uh, that, uh, that doesn't coincide with, for example, mine and yours in many respects. And so they steer science in a particular direction as well. So that's a whole nother layer of, of how science is politicized is not only by the politicians, but by the scientists themselves and the universities they work for and the research agencies they work for and so on. So it's, it's, it's pretty messy. And this uh, COVID-19 has really exposed it, I think. Right. And
1: Let's now, let's drill down. We're gonna get to the COVID-19 vaccination, but let's drill down on this aspect of science because it is critical. And just so people understand, they should verify what I say is true or false, and then they can take my judgment, my opinion about those facts, and, and measure it for themselves. But to understand that I'm a trial lawyer, as you are, Rob, I have a degree in public policy, and my work in trial and legal and the legal profession has been in part to examine public policy and determine whether one, the f- underlying factual predicate for the public policy, scientific studies, were done properly with proper experimental protocols, with proper populations so that there's no selection bias with proper statistical analysis. That is what I do. And so when someone tells me that there's a policy or science, I will go to the underlying source and try to understand what it is that they can really say. Now let's just pause. So the study from Denmark is a single study. Now in science, we all know, or we should know, that a single study will not negate the effectiveness of mass. This study, which was a fairly robust study, seemed to negate the effectiveness. But what happens is, is that other scientific groups will conduct their own studies. Some will try to replicate that study by following the methodology precisely, or because of limitations and resources or different demographics or whatever it may be, or because they thought the methodology of that study wasn't good enough, they will change the methodology. Now, if they replicate the study methodologically and there's enough replication of results, that is to say they find the same thing, then what happens? Well, then people do a meta-analysis of all the studies, scientists, and try to see on the meta analysis, which is simply meaning we take a bunch of these individual studies and analyze them as a group. Do they provide enough support for a scientific, remember what we talked about in podcast number two scientific consensus? Now, a scientific consensus is not a measurement of some specific group of scientists. It's not even a specific percentage. 51% raise their hand and say, yes, we agree there's a consensus, 49 no, so there's no consent, there is a consensus. We don't know. It's just a consensus, it's informal. So science has this built in fudge factor called a consensus. Now you touched on a very important point. One thing that can help create a scientific consensus almost overnight is simply sure. say the government and private foundations are throwing money at, a, at anyone who's willing to study and agree with their conclusion. So global warming, COVID-19 is a terrible disease, masks are effective, six feet apart, whatever it is, if that's what they're throwing money at, you can bet your bottom dollar, you're going to develop a scientific consensus pretty quickly. And we saw that, by the way, in reverse. The tobacco companies had a vested interest to keep us from finding out that there was a high correlation between cigarette smoke and lung cancer. Now, I didn't say causality because scientists can't say that cigarette smoking causes lung cancer. Any, all they can do is measure it and reach a consensus. Now, I think anyone would be foolish given the amount of studies that have been conducted to date to say that cigarette smoking is not highly correlated with lung cancer to the point of saying it can be a cause of lung cancer. Now, someone can smoke three packs a day and not get lung cancer. So there's other things involved or someone cannot smoke at all and get lung cancer and never been in the vicinity of secondhand smoke but it is a cause of lung cancer is a fair statement. The tobacco companies, when they first learned of this relationship, spent millions of dollars paying scientists to disprove it. And they had good scientists and statisticians and the cigarette companies got caught many years later because you can't hide that kind of conspiracy forever. And they've had to pay big bucks to those people that smoked based upon the fraudulent misrepresentation of the tobacco companies. Now, the same holds true in reverse for those people who think they're doing the public good, COVID-19, FaceMax, and so forth. But what we're talking about is not science. Scientific consensus is not science. Now. Let's take one more example, and you spoke about these kinds of issues last week before we get into the vaccine question. We've heard a lot about super spreader events and those states that, you know, run by Republicans who have not imposed these draconian measures that the progressive run states have. There's a couple issues that would arise, one, Why have the states that have been very lenient and not imposed such draconian measures or none at all on the population, not had extreme infection, mortality, and morbidity rates versus those that did impose? And it doesn't matter that they're in the top 10 or 15 or the bottom 10 or 15, if Shutting down an economy and think about how drastic that is. And by the way, let's now talk about the science again. Scientists can tell us how many people are going to get sick more or less, and how many people are going to die more or less from COVID-19. And it's more or less because a lot of people like myself had COVID-19. I had it mildly in March of 2020. I didn't report it to anyone. I'm not on any statistic, and there are a whole number of asymptomatic symptomatic people who had COVID-19 who didn't report it. So the, we don't know the numbers precisely, and we don't even know how many people who got sick died because of that problem and because people reported to have died from COVID-19 that did not die from it or reverse. It's very, very difficult to pin that down. because we don't see that distinction between the so-called blue states and red states with regard to protocols and infection rates and mortality. Indeed, the states that were draconian, New York, New Jersey, California, have incredibly high rates. Um, There was a very, very well-publicized story and it's because Governor of South Dakota, Christy Noem, had taken the position that in her state, the government was going to advise the population about COVID-19 and about the various protocols that CDC recommends, but was not going to shut down the state. She was not going to enforce a mask mandate or six feet apart, and she didn't. And when you look at the state, they're not at the bottom. They're not the worst. People like to say, well, she's in the, you know, South Dakota's in the bottom 15 or so. First of all, again, the statistics are vague. And secondly, that's not so bad for a state that did nothing. Because what you not met what you do not measure is how many people suffered and died as a result of the protocols. We know that suicides have skyrocketed. My wife's in the, the social work counseling profession, and she's dealing with families and young children, young girls, young boys, high school age, junior high age, at a phenomenal rate that are either suicidal or committed suicide. We don't know the cost psychologically, emotionally of those children who have been out of school and without any contact with their friends out of fear by their parents or by them because of all the noise around them about COVID-19. We don't know the effects of unemployment and the shutting down of businesses on the population yet, but those are real, actual effects. So if you're going to tell me that South Dakota under very vague statistics was in the bottom third, New York was also down there, but the difference in quality of life between the two states was incredible. South Dakota carried on and individuals made their own choices. It wasn't imposed by the government under threat of arrest, whereas in New York and New Jersey, it was. That's not science, that difference, that's public policy based upon the same basic facts, but the governor of South Dakota knew she couldn't measure what you do to liberty, the constitution, to mental health, and to the mortality rate generally of a state by imposing those draconian standards, not based on science, based upon someone's judgment of the benefit risk analysis. And she decided to leave it to the individual. Rational adults. If you are have a high comorbidity risk, stay home, make that choice. If you're afraid of getting infected by your family members, by your grandchildren, tell them not to come. Zoom call, visit them on the phone. But it's an individual choice. And that's what you and I have argued in federal courts across many states during this COVID-19, sometimes successfully, but mostly not because the judges themselves react out of fear and simply say the science, and what is their science? Whatever the head of the public health department tells you it is. The case in South Dakota that I wanted to mention was the stirred motorcycle rally that the governor of South Dakota welcomed and after the rally, the leftist progressives and a group of economic, economists in the main came out with the study that said that Sturd was a massive super spreader and X number of people died and why billions of dollars had to be spent to result across the country as they went home. Well, when you actually looked at the study as some researchers from Harvard did They found that the methodology was poor. You couldn't draw the conclusions that they drew. And what's more is the same kinds of scientists were telling us, and it's also in the internet, that the Black Lives Matter protests, none of them were super spreaders. That's literally what we were told that there was no indication that any of the Black Lives Matter protests were super spreaders. But anyone who watched the video of those protests or who were around them knows very well that if anything was going to be super spreader, it was going to be the Black Lives Matter protest. Yet, as in New York, and we talked about this, Mayor de Blasio actually joined protesters, his police chiefs joined the protesters without face masks, holding hands and engaging in precisely the behavior that they tell us is illegal and they will arrest us for engaging in.
0: It, it seemed to be a pretty stank because you had uh, Governor Wolf in Pennsylvania doing the same thing, right? the, the leftist progressive governor there, and then my own governor, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She's out there arm in arm during the Black Lives Matter protest, and then uh, she goes and lectures to us about how we're threatening people if we, uh, you know, if we social gather during Thanksgiving or Christmas. So yeah, the, the hypocrisy is is, is is, you can cut it with a knife.
1: I represent a very, very popular restaurant group in Southern California, as you know. I won't mention the name. And the shutdown of the restaurant business has been devastating to all restaurants. They fared fairly well, but it has been difficult and it has required layoffs of thousands of workers. Now, Governor Newsom and his Legal edicts caused the shutdown. L.A. County followed suit and all the other counties. What did we see Governor Newsom doing? Going to a restaurant and violating his very own protocols. Indoors, no masks, within six feet. Now, he's called on it. It's one of the reasons he's being petitioned for recall. But he kind of just said, you know, that was a mistake. But think about that in context of the businesses and the employees and the customers who lives have literally been turned on inside out and devastated. And these politicians decide they're above the law. And they actually don't believe they're above the law. They just don't believe the law applies to them as long as they can get away with it. It's the same nonsense we know takes place among progressives, the Hollywood world, the the Bill Gates world. They're gonna moan and groan about global warming and how we have to kill the, the fossil fuel industry and we have to promote all these other industries and they get on their private jets and spill more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere than a million of us regular citizens. So we just have to be very, very careful about what is science, what is public policy, and then what is pure ideological policy, which involves in the main among progressives about taking power. Now let's talk about the vaccine. To begin, let's be very clear. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I believe in vaccinations. I get an influenza vaccine every year. I'm 64 years old, I've gotten a shingles vaccination because at my age, it's important to get one. If you've decided that risk and the benefit balance out in favor of the vaccine, it's an individual choice. And it should be. My children all got their vaccines. So this doesn't come from the perspective of an anti-vaxxer. What it comes from is someone who looked at the results of vaccines over a number of years and the standard vaccines, which use an inactive or dead virus. So the body creates its own immunological response, its own antibodies and fights and prevents future infection. Those kinds of vaccines have been around as we know since the turn of the last century. And we know the long-term, medium-term, and short-term effects. As most people now know, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines use this new RNA methodology, which is a way to simply send a trigger to message, a message to the cells to respond in a way that creates antibodies. That's very different from the older method. Now, it has a great advantage. It's much less expensive and much easier to produce this kind of vaccine than the older kind. The Johnson and Johnson is slightly different. It's DNA, it's not RNA but it works on essentially the same mechanism and it is similarly an innovation. The RNA vaccines have only really been around for a decade and a half or so, and they were originally tested on rabies. We do not know, and we have no evidence of any long-term effects We don't know even the medium-term effects of the COVID-19 vaccine. It doesn't mean they're gonna be bad. It just means we don't know. Now, we can suspect based upon what we think is taking place inside the cell at a cellular level, what's going on, and it shouldn't have any medium or long-term effects, but there's a whole lot about this process that we do not know. Example. If you go to the CDC website today, as I've done earlier, just to double check, they will tell you when you ask the question, how, if long, is the effect of the COVID-19 vaccine going to last? In other words, ask the simple question, not the medium or long-term possible adverse consequences. We know that in the short term, the COVID-19 vaccines are effective. We did enough studies on enough individuals during the emergency approval process. And now that there are 9 million plus vaccines already been delivered even in the US plus all the other countries. And we have an idea of how effective it is, an idea. Again, the statistics are, are not clear yet they won't be for some time, that it's fairly effective anywhere, depending upon the vaccine, one dose or two, and the 80% up into the 90%. But they have no idea if it's going to be effective for six months, nine months, a year. It just hasn't been around. Now, if they don't know how effective it's going to be on its principal job to prevent disease, COVID-19. They certainly can't tell us what's going to happen nine months, a year from now to a large enough population that's received this vaccine in terms of adverse effects. Now, let's just talk about the short-term adverse effects, what science tells us. Science tells us, based upon the studies that we've seen, and this was in the emergency process. Remember, this is shrunk down, there were a lot of people involved that went through the studies but still it was a very short period and condensed in order to get the vaccines out we know there's the typical vaccine reactions you can get fever you can get dizziness you can you know get fatigue you can get muscle aches obviously the pain wherever it's you're getting the shot those are kind of standard and one expects and the numbers don't appear out of the ordinary. We also know there can be an allergic reaction and that can vary. Uh, statistics will tell us that they occur generally within this time frame. Now, there have been no, this is what the CDC tells us as of this morning, no reported deaths anywhere from the vaccine, but what does that mean? When you actually look at the language, what it means is you're starting with the population, nine million plus, nine millions in the US, I don't know the world numbers right offhand, but they're much higher, have had the vaccine. How do we know what the effects, the short-term effects are? Well, either they have a reaction in the hospital or in the US, there's a system that they've put in place where they reach out to a certain number of people and ask them, what was your reaction to the vaccine physically? And they're told and it's put into the database. But it's entirely phenomenological; It's a subjective response to a question. So both the person reporting has to be accurate or is going to be inaccurate. The person taking down that information is accurately taking down or not. And these aren't scientists taking down this information. These are phone call people that are set up in this system uh, with some training, but no expertise. There's also a way in which people who have a reaction and go to a doctor, under some cases, the doctor is required by law to call this, reach out to the system by phone or by online mechanism and report adverse events. But again, we're not sure that that's being done accurately or under some circumstances, they're recommended to report these incidences. We don't know how many were they're capturing. Individuals who don't go see a doctor. If an individual gets the COVID-19 vaccine and let's just say dies two weeks later or a month later, and it's not connected. No one connects it to the COVID-19 vaccination. It's not going to get reported. There have been reports of death. It's a relatively small number. I mean, very small number. But again, we don't know how much they're capturing. And among those that they are capturing, the reporting system doesn't measure causality aside from being a very vague number in terms of properly recording and memorializing the number of adverse events, it doesn't tell us if the COVID-19 vaccine costs. So what do the experts do? They try to get the autopsies and medical reports from these deaths and determine whether there's been a death. And what does the CDC say? Let me see if I can find it on my computer. The exact language.
0: Have you seen a I've I've heard and I haven't done a drill down the numbers. Have you seen an increase? Of adverse effects upon a certain population. I had heard somewhere that, like young females, for some reason may be having a greater adverse um, reaction to, uh, you know, to the virus than even the elderly population. I've seen those kind of reports, but it's not
1: supported by the data. But we're going to talk about the risk-benefit analysis that an individual should undergo or could undergo, not should, but in my view, should undergo. But I couldn't find it quickly. But in essence, here's the language of the CDC. As of today, there is no known causal link between COVID-19 and mortalities, death.
0: COVID-19 vaccine.
1: Vaccine. And what is that based on? It's simply that they looked at medical records and autopsies and out of over a thousand deaths and could not determine that there was a cause from the vaccine. But what does that mean? It means nothing, literally nothing. Because as a scientist, you know, you can't even make a correlation if you're not studying a large enough population group with some kind of controls. These are just subjective reports. And If you have someone dying from a heart attack and someone dying from an embolism and someone dying from a stroke after having a COVID-19 vaccination, and you say, well, I don't see any other heart attacks or I don't see enough heart attacks after all these, and I don't see, but you haven't studied it. So maybe it is the COVID-19 vaccine that's causing all three kinds of responses. Maybe not, probably not, but science, doesn't tell us. Now, given the fact that the numbers are so slow, what is the analysis that a rational person would undergo? By the way, I understand why governments are pushing the vaccine. Because they see the devastating effects of both COVID-19 and the protocols, which arguably were or were not effective in lowering those devastating effects of the disease. And they say the risk benefit, given that we know that the COVID vaccines are effective in the short term, let's get everybody vaccinated so we can open up our economies. But what they don't know, by the way, and we've already mentioned, is how long will these vaccines be effective? Are we gonna have to revaccinate people in six months? Is it gonna be like the flu where it's once a year? once every two years, we have no idea, none today. And that's what the CDC tells us. Secondly, governments do a very poor job and bureaucrats of thinking down the road, five years or 10 years, because they're not gonna be held responsible. The bureaucrats and the public policy machinery that inform the governors and the mayors about what to do, five, 10, 15 years from now, no one can point to them and say, you pushed vaccines, but now we see long-term effects. I don't believe in conspiracies. I don't believe that people are dying and getting sick from the vaccines and people are hiding it unless I have evidence. And there's no evidence of that. But we know what we don't know. And we do not know the long-term positive effects of the vaccine. We don't even know the medium term effects. We don't know the bad outcomes. So let's take an individual. I'm 64, relatively good health. I'm almost at that age where they say age is a comorbidity for a bad outcome from the disease. Should I have the vaccine? Well, I'm going to look out there and say, well, one, I probably had COVID-19 back in March, mildly, didn't have a bad outcome. Nothing has changed in my comorbidity profile. I'm still relatively healthy. The likelihood of me having a bad outcome is swim. I still have enough of a life ahead of me to think about medium and long-term effects, not as much as someone who's 25 or 30. I don't know what this vaccine is going to do to people 5 years, 10 years, 20 years from now. It hasn't been around long enough to know how effective it's going to be for how long a period of time and what the bad outcomes are going to be. I'm going to decide to wait until there have been enough there's enough evidence to establish that it's safe and effective unless I develop a comorbidity some issue god forbid that would mean I'm at higher risk Now, if I'm older and I'm at high risk of getting the disease, I'm thinking, you know, at 80 some odd years of age, I don't have to worry about the long-term effects of this thing. I'm going to get the vaccine because if I get COVID-19, it's likely going to create havoc in my life, if not terminate my life. So the long-term effects, or if I have to get this vaccine next year or the year after no big deal, but a young person, a healthy young person, 30, 40, 50 years old, the long-term effects that they don't know could be devastating. We just don't know. I'm not saying they will be, but we simply don't know. And that individual should think twice and thrice if they don't have comorbidities about the vaccine. Not that they should decide against it, but it should be a rational choice based upon the information that we have today. So when bureaucrats and governors and presidents tell us everybody should run out and get a vaccine, that's the wrong message. The message should be we've developed this vaccine. We've done it quickly. We believe it's safe, but we don't know the medium and long-term effects. And We're not even sure how long it's going to be effective against preventing the disease itself, but they don't tell us that. They're like Dr. Fauci in February of 2020. They want people to get the vaccine. They're not going to be upfront. Yes, you can find it buried in the CDC website, but they're not explaining it. And now what are they doing? So now comes a new piece of litigation that we're about to engage and I'll leave it vague enough, Uh, until we file and becomes a public document. There are a group of individuals, not insubstantial individuals who are not anti-vaxxers, medical professionals and others, and medical professionals, doctors are no better scientists than lay people. They know how to do their particular medicine, but they're not research scientists in the main and they couldn't look at a study and really determine its validity or reliability any better than a layperson. They would turn to a statistician or uh, uh, a research expert to tell them that. These doctors and other professionals have published various reports and statements about the vaccine and the risks of having a vaccine. The Biden administration reached out to the social media giants, Twitter, Facebook. What are some of the others, Rob? I'm drawing a blank.
0: Well, YouTube uh possibly. And, yeah, right. the, the and have
1: told them, we want you to censor, to ban those kinds of statements under the guise that it's fake news, it's conspiratorialist, it's wacko talk, it's factually false, and we want you to prevent it. Now, for those of you who aren't versed in the First Amendment, the First Amendment gives each and every one of us the right to free speech, including under many circumstances, even the right to say false facts. Obviously, you can't be in a court of law and say a false fact. That's perjury if you're under oath. And that's an exception to that free speech right. But certainly your opinion about the risks, which we don't know a lot about, is free speech. But the First Amendment only applies to government, to state action, we call it so that Facebook and Twitter and the mega giants hide behind the guise of we're a private business. We can censor speech. And if you look at all our terms of use and operate as the agreement between us and our users, it says we can do whatever we want in effect. And that's oftentimes, if not almost always true, but it's not true when Facebook and Twitter and these other social media giants join in a real conspiracy. And what is a conspiracy? A meeting of the minds with state actors like the president and his people in the Biden administration and say, on behalf of the Biden administration, we're going to censor any speech on our platforms that criticizes the COVID-19 vaccination, because it's gonna go against our policy, our government's policy to get everybody vaccinated. That becomes state action by the private business. And that censorship is a violation of the First Amendment. And in fact, we have a doctor who has been banned from Twitter for simply either publicizing studies about the vaccine or statements from others that have criticized the vaccine and have suggested statistics that would say the vaccine is not even safe in the short term. Now, whether those statements by others is true or false, that's not the point. Can I post on my Twitter account a statement by someone else, and say it's a statement by someone else that the vaccine is killing people. When in fact, the statistics would suggest that it's not killing people in the short term. It might kill them in the long term, we just don't know. But in the short term, there's no evidence of that. Well, (laughs) Facebook and Twitter acting on their own could certainly shut me down but can they do so on behalf of the Biden administration under the first amendment? Well, as our resident first amendment expert, and I consider myself a first amendment, first amendment expert as well, because we litigate it all the time, but I can't hold a candle to your expertise. And I say that um, sincerely. So can the government prevent me from simply quoting other sources, which might be good or bad sources about, Bad statistics and the COVID-19 vaccination.
0: Yeah, of course they can't. And, you know, that, that's you know, one of the problems with all the social media. They, they've become the new, um, you know, public square, as it were. And, you know, Congress granted them this broad immunity from all, you know, all uh, litigation harm through Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act but you know it's it's become they've they're so in bed now with the with left wing progressives that they're working that when they're doing their bidding and now you do have the government interfering and stepping in and you have this joint action between a private uh, entity and the government that it makes it overall state action particularly when it's press speech you know and i, I, I wonder want to to that point you know why do we think that the government is the one that holds all the truth i mean you, my goodness Look at, uh, look at what Cuomo's going through in, in New York because he cooked the books, because he's given us the false data. The, the, the entity that I probably trust the least to give us correct data is the government who has a vested interest in, in promoting its, certain, uh, its particular policies, right? So the, the fact that you know, what the CDC might say or what the government might say about the, uh, about the vaccine, unfortunately, the way everything has been so politicized um, I don't. I mean, I personally don't trust what the what the government's saying, and I think it's you know the more voices that are heard, hopefully you know more of truth can come out of that. But the way the left's view of this is: look, we hold the truth; it's whatever we want it to be. The science is whatever we want it to be. We will make the science consensus, and we will tell you what it is because, and we'll tell you in a way that supports our policies. And oh, by the way, if you say something. Different from that, we're going to shut you down. You know who does that? Communist China. You know who does that? Tyrants. You know where that happens? That happens in Russia. I mean, this is that does not happen in the United States of America. And th- this whole va- this whole COVID nineteen uh, you know crisis is a constitutional crisis. Is where we are, and that's where my my greatest concern. And you, you know, I talk about the risk analysis. And I've you know I've seen stories that they you know the teachers unions and stuff want all the children to be vaccinated before they'll you know go back in you know kindergarten through whatever fifth sixth grade you know how many like I know Pennsylvania because you have litigation there you know how many children nine and under have passed away at least re, that they have statistics for in in the entire state of Pennsylvania the you know the tens of million people that live there zero zero none let me pause you Rob why wait can we just say why would a why would you have your six year old child Go get vaccinated and, and, and risk what what could very well be substantial risk because of the unknown when we know the virus likely has zero impact on this child. Right. And, but but yet you say that, right? Me saying this is gonna would get this program banned from Twitter. And
1: even more critically against the teachers' unions across the country and the national union is that the CDC tells us today and the FDA with the emergency use authorization that there weren't studies of significant number of children under the age of 16. If you're under the age of 16, it's recommended you do not get vaccinated because there hasn't been any studies. Yet the unions are pushing for these kids to be vaccinated. I mean, what is the logic of that? Now let's come back to your point. By the way Como his name is pronounced Cuomo you pronounced it Como he once got very upset at someone and berated them
0: yeah, I'll keep calling him Como then
1: yeah yeah like the uh, like your articulation of uh, what was it the, uh, the, the the May 5 festival or whatever it is Oh
0: Cinco de Mayo and de Mayo whatever it is yeah.
1: <laughs> Rob used his Boston accent Cinco de Mayo and got criticized yeah. by a judge that it was Cinco de Mayo.
0: And and say, whatever. Yeah, Need
1: whatever. So, um, Governor Cuomo, normally we would say to anyone like Rob or I that um, uh, if you don't believe the government statistics, you're a conspiratorialist. It's irrational, Rob. Yet, we now see Governor Cuomo, if he he had been president and he had been doing what the Biden administration is doing right now, he would have said anyone who talks about COVID-19 deaths in New York or anywhere else in nursing homes as a result of my orders is to be banned. Absolutely, he would have said that. Yet, we're now finding out, irrespective of whether or not his order caused nursing home deaths, there can still be a debate How many deaths were caused by shipping back um, hospitalized COVID-19 patients to the nursing homes and how many were caused by staff members or, or families that came and visited them? We don't know the answer to that yet, to be honest. But the fact is, is we do know that he consciously decided along with Mr. Zucker, the head of his health department, the Dr. Fauci of New York, who Cuomo said publicly, after he was outed with all this, well, I would have had Dr. Zucker take care of my own mother as if that's to convince us. That these two characters fudged the numbers purposefully at a time when Governor Cuomo was entering into a contract to write a book in which he got paid in advance of somewhere close to a million dollars. And when he was being paraded around as the new messiah, in contradistinction to the new Satan, Donald Trump, by the media and all the other public policy analysts.
0: And and got an Emmy Award.
1: (laughs) He got more than one. You can't make
0: this stuff up. He's writing a book about being a leader during COVID and he gets an Emmy Award. Before it's even done.
1: Before we even know the end statistics. In In a state, by the way, that was always at the top of deaths and mortality. Mm-hmm. even though he imposed the most draconian measures of shutting it down, except, of course, against Black Lives Matter. And then, except, of course, against our client. When we sued him and he had to justify his behavior, he said, no, I don't enforce this stuff. And Mayor de Blazo said, no, we're not going to enforce it against Ms. Geller, your client, but we're going to enforce it against everybody else. The absurdity of it all. So when we talk about the vaccine I understand the, the, the emotional impact of these closures, but think about what they've done. You had this disease, and before we really knew anything, they started shutting down entire economies and schools, etc., and imposing the most morbid restrictions on society that they could. Then in order to release us from those public policy decisions, not grounded or based on science qua science, they tell us, hey, if you want to get freed from all these restrictions, go get vaccinated. Oh, by the way, we don't know how long the vaccine is going to be effective. You might have to do this again. And we certainly don't know the medium to long-term adverse outcomes that might result from this vaccine. We do not know because it's a new process and we haven't studied it. They're not tell us, telling us even that honestly. So what we have to guard against is one, becoming irrational conspiratorialist. Every time someone says, oh, it's causing death. Look at the science behind it. Look at the numbers, but only look at the science. Science can only measure things and they can only measure things accurately if they have accurate tools and they can see what they're measuring. Vague reporting databases to the federal government, the VAERS reporting system, is the most obtuse, inaccurate reporting system you could have created. Probably the best that you could create today, but it is wholly inadequate to tell us anything scientific about bad outcomes. That we're only going to find out years later and after enough autopsies have been done and we've studied the effects of these vaccines and what they're actually doing long-term,
0: we do not know. You know, um, I just want to, uh, I, I think we, we probably need to move towards uh, to a wrap up time on this, but I, I wanna, cause we, we mentioned Como and I just wanna, I guess, close out with, we have several news items, but we can save some for, for the next time because we're, we've been uh, running on long here. Um, but we talked about como and i just want to bring up the the two uh two news stories we were going to discuss and we already kind of broached it with the uh, with the nursing homes and this is a this is a, a paragraph from out of an article written in national review by our good friend uh, andy mccarthy just to put it in context como in the uh, in the nursing homes right this guy who is the the great leader one of the things i love when you you see here you see how how loyal these left was left wing progressives are they're all tyrants they all want power as soon as they see weakness in uh, in Como, <laughs> you have de Blasio, who doesn't like him anyways, the mayor, you know, another left wing commie uh, leader. He's attacking him. And even uh, even uh, Como's uh, attorney general, who apparently has asp- political aspirations. She sees uh, somebody wounded, you know, wounded uh, that she wants to wants to take down. So it's it's funny. Watch. It's a, progressive. <laughs> it, it's an intramural fight, you know, firefight here with them because they all they just all want power. It's all a quest for power. But this is what he wrote. In June, administrative, administration officials were aware that the accurate count of COVID-19 related nursing home deaths was then 9,250. This far exceeded the 6,150 such deaths reported by New Jersey, the state with the second highest total. But Como officials habitually lowballed the figure by about 50%, stating in the report that it was 6,432. Indeed, they continued to undercount the true total for months afterward, until finally fessing up in January when a state attorney general report spotlighted the administration's sleight of hand. The number of nursing home deaths now exceeds 15,000. End quote from the story. Amazing. Just, you know, here he is, holds himself out to be this great leader. You know, the, the, uh, you know, he's, he's a great leader on one side, Trump, the fail leader on the other side, you know, he's the, the great teller of truth and, and uh, for being forthright about this and, and Trump's not, and the, the guy's a fraud. Uh, you know, it, it, he, he makes money profits off a book, gets an Emmy award. And here he is. I mean, it's just it, it, this, you can't make this stuff up. And, and I just want to, one thing, uh, there's also a news story, somewhat related and that's uh this one's from Fox News. It says, Whitmer could face criminal charges over COVID-19 deaths, prosecutor says. So now there's a there's a county prosecutor here in Michigan that's breathing down the neck of Governor Whitmer related to the uh, the nursing home deaths uh, here in, in Michigan. Uh, couldn't let's, happen let's to a nice lady.
1: Let's talk about the broader picture as well. Because next week, I hope to drill down for our audience on what we mean when we say that the progressives stole the election. And don't get misled, because the part about election fraud is really a small part. It's going to play a bigger part down the road. But we're talking about something deeper and more insidious. Um, But So let's now touch upon that broader picture. And this will be a hint toward next week's podcast. When the COVID-19 nursing home scandal started to become public and it started with the kind of right-wing yellow journalistic, you know, it's a scream newspaper, the New York Post. For those of you not familiar with New York, The New York Post is kind of the right conservative. It's not really conservative. It's just scream and it's anti leftist. The New York News is, daily news is hardcore liberal. The New York Times, of course, hardcore liberal. The Wall Street Journal used to be reliably conservative and factual in the news stories, um, but that's less so under uh, Robert uh, Murdoch's ownership the same family that owns Fox News. Um, It has taken a kind of anti-Trumpian approach in many respects. Um, And one can be anti-Trump, but it's taken in many respects an irrational one. But so you have to be very careful how you look at the media. But when you looked at when the nursing home scandal first came, became public, What was the reaction by the leftist mainstream and social media outlets to ignore it? Literally, for as long as they could, even as it began to heat up and we learned that there was a Department of Justice investigation into it and a US attorney separately looking into the question because the the various federal crimes could include when New York and Governor Cuomo provided data in response to formal legal requests and providing false information, false documents, is a federal crime. Receiving federal funds under false pretenses could be a federal crime. So there were various things going on, but the left-wing media and all the progressive actors and pundits and speakers were praising Cuomo, even as this began percolating and becoming public information, they ignored it. Then what happened? Then you started having women expose Cuomo for the sexual predator that he is. Now, everyone in New York knows, just like everyone knew who Donald Trump was. You know, Certainly, I'm a, a big fan of Donald Trump, the president, but Donald Trump the person and what guy he was in New York, you know, narcissistic, egotistical, self centered, no question. And we knew that in New York. Well, everyone in New York knows that Governor Cuomo is a tyrant. He berates people, he frightens people, he threatens people, he engages in hardcore, nasty politics to destroy people's lives. And he's a sexual predator. Everyone knows that, at least everyone with open eyes. As the women began appearing, the left-wing media tried to ignore it as well. And then all of a sudden, the same people who screamed that the putative justice Kavanaugh, who was undergoing senatorial hearings, based upon one accusation from his high school days, which had all sorts of inconsistencies, should be believed and he should be condemned for life took the position that due process. Now, I'm a big believer in due process. I don't believe that people who are accused of anything, and I don't care if there's one woman accusing or man or 50, people ought to have some measure of due process, certainly in the courts. Now, a politician lives by public opinion and dies by public opinion. Um, Do I believe he should resign? Not until the people Sufficient number say he should resign, but just because politicians and actors and actresses call for his resignation, but the I left call for his is, resignation,
0: he's a tyrant.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's your right. And a terrible I terrible leader, get out of there. And based upon his behavior in our COVID nineteen cases, he should he should resign as well. But they ignored that story once it became part and parcel of the daily news that we were hearing because more and more women were coming out. It's now up to six and it could not be ignored by the mainstream media. And the Me Too movement got wind of it. All of a sudden, there's this storm to have him resign, get kicked out of office, impeached. But think about it. When he's fudging data about deaths, When he's possibly issuing orders that cause deaths and then covering those up. There's no call for his resignation or for impeachment. It is only when he engages in this other reprehensible behavior, and it's reprehensible. Sexual predators are reprehensible, but it doesn't compare, quite frankly, to murder. It doesn't compare to the reckless disregard of human lives by sending elderly COVID-19 infected patients back into nursing homes. And it doesn't compare to covering those mistakes up by submitting and fudging bad data. That's where we are. The complex, the media democratic progressive complex has its pet projects. And anything outside of that, if you critique it, If you raise issues, you're a conspiratorialist, you're an anti-scientist, you're a bigot, you're a fascist. If it falls within the politically correct narrative, you can get away with it. So now it's perfectly politically correct to be against Cuomo for his sexual predator behavior. It has yet to become politically correct to really speak about his COVID-19 protocols. And the same now holds true for vaccines. You can't be against or even criticize COVID nineteen vaccines without being a conspiratorialist, a nutcase, irrational, and so forth.
0: All right, so we'll we'll wrap it up on that note. I think we've been going for quite some time here, and uh, very good, uh, very good discussion. I know I learn things every time I hear you talk, David. I appreciate it. So again, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. We we do look forward to our next discussion. We thank everybody who. Uh, joined us uh, in listening to this podcast. And uh, please know that uh, we'll continue our relentless fight for faith and freedom. And we ask that uh, may God bless you and may he continue to bless America.
1: Amen. And let me just add, Rob, before we end, for all of our listeners, Um, this is only our fourth podcast. If you have suggestions, either as to how we improve it, or on substantive material, we have a comment for us on any one of our, you know, platforms. And Rob is more an expert on that than I, so that we can improve and subscribe and send us around to your friends so that people will have the opportunity to decide if they want to listen to us.
0: Very good. I'll say amen to that. Bye.